we'll do a little informal start to this episode of Football Journeys. Welcome to Football Journeys. We're not going to overlay the music on this one. You've got me and Fraser having a bit of a chit-chat. So look, we're going to have a summer break. I'd love to tell you it's because some oil-rich state has uh, brought us up and we're going to delay everything until November, but it's not because of that. We just feel as though we need a little bit, bit of break, bit of headspace. Lee's on holiday at the moment while we're recording this, which is why it's me and Fraser chatting at the moment. Lee's in IB from and then Fraser's away next week in Dubai. And I must say, it's a real pleasure to work with you two because you're really shifting the footballer stereotypes. <laughs> uh, so hello, Fraser. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Um, it is my first trip to Dubai, so... It's one that I did want to tick off the list. Um, but yeah, me and Lee are, are living up to our stereotypical football holidays, I think. A trip to Marbella and then that's all complete, I think. <laughs> you, you've already done Vegas, haven't you? I've done it once, but I was, yeah, I was 20 at the time. Um, so it was a bit of a different experience going there with some fake ID after after winning promotion of Wimbledon. But a few of us, a few of us had a few... Uh, dodgy driving licenses but we managed to get away with it <laughs> <laughs> brilliant well look, i mean what we want to do with this episode is a few little reflections updates um i think one of the things that you and i are really passionate about phrase is we don't just get people on interview and then forget about them um maybe we get a little bit too invested in their stories going forwards but um anyone that follows us on twitter or on instagram at journeys pod if you're not already already we like a retweet, we like a quote tweet, we like celebrating the successes both on and off the pitch. So we've done, a, well, I say research, we do stay in touch with these, these people, swapping WhatsApps, et cetera. So we've been keeping up to date with what people have been doing. So we wanted to do for our listeners a little run through about what we know, a few little clips, a few little chats that we've had with previous guests and things that have become topical. And also our, our reflections as well on the pod. Um, this series two, I wouldn't say we set out with a plan. Series one, we had a plan. We wanted to interview about nine or ten lads and get their stories. But series two has been about identity and what people do. And it's really grown organically. And it's one thing we're really passionate about is listeners getting involved. And actually, some of these things have come about because listeners have messaged us and said, can you talk to someone that deals with this? Or have you thought about talking to this person? And we love that. And this is a little bit of a call to arms to get our listeners to please, please, please do promote us on social media, but also reply to us on social media, send us direct messages, send us messages about what you want to hear, because you know we do this for the conversations we have. And we've met some amazing people. I'm really proud to say I've spent quite a lot of time with David Clark since we met Dave. Getting along great with him and just being inspired by him. Went to a British Paralympic Association meeting with him recently and that was just tremendous being surrounded not just by him but some inc other incredible Paralympians so I guess that's why we do it I think I think with with the format of podcasting as well it's it's a long conversation and it's almost like a safe space for someone to come in and to completely open up and be honest and you know I like to think that we're you know free people that, that try and facilitate that we try and you know sit back and listen and you know, through the work we do within football, I think people come on knowing that, you know, we are sort of a, a caring sort of nature um, to our personality and to our podcast. And I think people feel comfortable sitting down. You know, we, we spoke to lads in the first series and you don't often get that that sort of time with people to go that deep into a conversation. And it does, you know, we, we spend time with these people um, and it does create that huge bond and, I'd say near enough every single person that we've that we've had on the podcast 
you know, we've kept in touch with, we've spoken to before they've come on, we've spoken to afterwards. And as you say, it is a really nice thing to be involved in. It's nice to be invested in their careers going forward. And yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about a few of uh, a few of those careers and some of the, the moments that have happened this season. Well, definitely. I want to start with one of my favourite episodes, though, which was um, your one. Um, and what was quite interesting about your one is I knew 80 or 90% of what we spoke about, but the 10, 20% fascinated me. Um, but what was also interesting is that one of the things that you didn't talk about was, and, and I think you deliberately, I don't want to say kept it from me, because that kind of suggests cloak and dagger, but you didn't want me worrying about you and you coming to terms with the end of your career, the sudden end of your career. And one of the things that you did turn to um, was using alcohol as a crutch. So I think I hesitate to say you certainly weren't an alcoholic, um, but I think it's a really important part of you deciding to later speak out. And you spoke with Jim White, who you got to know pretty well at TalkSport, and he had really struggled with alcohol. Um, you spoke to you spoke out about it because we have a perception of people who've got problems with alcohol are those people who are sipping vodka in the morning and trying to hide real hardcore alcoholism. But I think there is, well, I've got this from you, mate. There's a conversation we all need to have about our alcohol use. And what I wanted to do is you spoke to Jim and, and play in a nice little clip of you chatting to Jim because you've already spoken about it. So let's listen to hear you talking to Jim about it. Former captain of Newport County, and he's now working amongst some of uh, the football academies all around the country, and he is Fraser Franks. Fraser, good afternoon to you. Afternoon, how are you? I am very well, mate. Good to see you. Haven't seen you for a while. We, you and I met just before Christmas, did we not? Yeah, we did. Uh, in a little coffee shop around the corner, Simon. One day we'll take you there. Lucky old Fraser. It's quite fashionable. <laughs> it's quite trendy. You'd enjoy it. Um, Fraser, t let's get into your story, mate, because you and I have known each other for a while now. You retired from football after... How many games did you play in your professional career? Uh, 350 around that, I think it was. 350, that's not bad, Sam. Cool. But you had to retire, age 28, uh, in March 2019, I think it was, yeah. when doctors told you what? Uh, it was a heart condition that was found. Um, I developed an infection, taken to hospital, um, heart rate through the roof. Spent about 10... 15 days in hospital um, and then yeah at the end of it it was a diagnosis that meant I had to retire sort of instantly from football so yeah it's three years ago this month that I went into hospital um, and yeah it's flown by really. It was incredible because at that time you were playing well you were doing well other clubs were looking at you and it hit you hard didn't it? Yeah it did um, I think at first when I came out it was everything was new so it's probably a bit of a novelty that you can maybe do things and have different experiences that you couldn't do while you're in football. Um, but for me, I know now that that was denial. Um, I came out of the game and yeah, it's been a, a roller coaster few years, but one now I'm in, you know, I'm in the best place of I've ever been now, but it's, it's taken a lot to get there. And then as certain things, Fraser, incidentally, I'm looking at some of the messages coming in, mate. I'll, I'll try and get through them in, in time, but we're going to get to the crux of this. You and I met not that long ago. And you've heard me talking about this. You know, I'm 10 years off alcohol. But there was a time for me, um, and Simon, I've spoken to you about this before, that I had to kick it into touch because I was making a fool of myself and it was affecting my life professionally and socially. And I thought, I'm just going to park it. So you know my story. Let's hear yours. What happened after that? 
Uh, I think sort of my early experience of alcohol is I saw enough in my childhood to put me off it for life. So I always vowed I'd never drink and alcohol was this big negative thing I always sort of didn't want to associate myself with. And I was at Chelsea's academy from the age of eight. So I always had a drive and an ambition to become a professional footballer. So I knew the two didn't go hand in hand. So it never even crossed my mind to drink. All my school friends went one way. I left school, never touched a drop and went the other way. Um... And then when I was about 17, I think it was, started going out with the football lads and becoming a first team player. And I saw that they drank. So it couldn't be that bad if, you know, they were still playing well and a lot of them were better players than I was. So my first experience was I'd be the sober one on every night out. (laughs) Felt quite wooden um, while everyone else was having a good time. And then sort of had my first little drink and it gave me a bit of Dutch courage. But that was it. It was, you know, I would always go out and have a few, never go too overboard. Um, but the older I got, I probably used it in the wrong way. And I think I've got one real experience where I had a really bad game and a lot of pressure um, and it was my escape. And that's the first time I noticed that I actually used alcohol as escapism and, and in the wrong way, really. I see. And then thereafter, you quit playing because you had to quit playing. Yeah. And then it developed a bit, it's fair to say. Um, And a lot of this resonates with me, Fraser. Um, You know, you were drinking a lot, uh, it appears. You had problems and this was your way of you trying to get yourself through your own problems. Did you, do I remember you saying to me that on one occasion you you kind of broke down in front of your mum? What happened with that? That was, yeah, that was um, more recent. That was about eight months ago. Um, But before that I, I used, so when I had to stop playing, I'd never had, the only time I ever drank was on a night out with friends or occasionally with my wife, anything like that. Um, but when I retired, I was like, actually, I can have a few beers in the fridge. And on a Monday night, I can have a couple because I haven't got training the next day. And I noticed that I was overthinking a lot. I was worried. I was massively fearful of the future, what I was going to do away from football. And if I had a couple of beers in the evening, it settled me down um, and I could sleep a lot better. So I used it as a bit of a crutch, but it just got worse and worse. And in the end, I was drinking a lot at home. I had a wife, um, obviously have a wife now, but That's she good. was <laughs> she was um, not a nagging voice in my head, but if I had two or three, she'd be questioning if I, why I was going and having a fourth or a fifth. So I always had that. I didn't feel like I could let myself go at home, so I started hiding alcohol. And that was, for me, the first sign that I knew I had a little bit of an issue. I was still in complete denial, but I would hide them in different places in the house so she went to bed she didn't know that I had an extra bottle or we had a little supermarket 10 second walk up the road so I could pretend I was taking the dog out go and get a couple without her knowing and I'd look at myself in the morning and just be massively guilty shameful I couldn't you know couldn't hide it from myself I could hide it from everyone else because they didn't really know the extent I was drinking um but I was just sat there on my own drinking and it was my escape and it was my time not to think about anything. Um, and yeah, the, the sort of about eight months ago, I, you know, I knew that I'd been hiding, hiding this from, from everyone else and became a liability when I did go out with other people and drank, which I'd never been before. How do you mean a liability? Uh, I'd just be the one that was falling over and saying stupid things and I'm a quite introverted person. But when I had a drink, it was my release. And I think because I've been away from football as well, if I went out with a, a group of ex-teammates, it was like a massive occasion for me and I, I wouldn't want to stop. I wouldn't want anyone else to stop. And I just didn't have that off button. So even on the way home from, you know, I'd go out in London with my friends, they'd all go home. I'd go and, you know, 
drink for the train journey home and there's no need to do it because I'm not I'm going to bed but I just had no off switch and just noticed I was making mistake after mistake poor decision after poor decision upsetting my wife um and yeah it, it got a lot and any of your mates say anything to you I mean it's documented well documented yeah. I'd sooner take me aside once and say yeah. you're drinking too much stop it it was more it was more my wife and my mum um they're the ones that know me more than anyone and they could see that even if we'd have like a family gathering, everyone else would be drinking one and I drink two and it was just a race to get more and more. And that had never been me. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I wasn't a, an aggressive drunk or anything like that. I was, you know, I loved everyone, but I was falling over. I was making poor decisions. I'd become this character that I wasn't. And then the next day people had, you know, I went on a course once and it was surrounded by people that I really wanted to work with in the future, really good jobs. And that night I just completely embarrassed myself in front of everyone I woke up the next day and they're all telling me how funny I was and how brilliant I was but inside I'm like dying inside because I'm like this isn't the impression that I want to give and it just kept tripping me up and tripping me up and then as I say about eight months ago uh you know I pulled them to the side and, and just broke down I just said look I feel like I've got an issue I feel like I've got a, a problem I can't stop um and yeah it was uh the best thing that I ever did was was opening up to them because I, I got help. I spoke to Sport and Chance. I've had a, a therapist and a counsellor that I've been speaking to. Um, but the first time I actually stopped, it lasted a month um, because after about two weeks, I was like, I'm not that bad. You know, I looked at other people and was like, they're drinking much more than I am. And I set myself a, a two drink limit and stuck to that for a couple of weeks. Then I had one night out, went off the rails, didn't message back and fell over and cut myself, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the reason I'm talking is because the next day I knew that I upset my wife. I was hung over, but I'd always get up and I'd try and punish my body. So I'd go for a run and try and get out of my system or try and make myself feel better. And then I came across a podcast of a guy, he's an ex-cricketer and I'm not a cricket fan, so I don't know how I ended up listening to it, but he's called Luke Sutton. And it was this, he was, he's a recovering alcoholic. He's 10 years um, sober. And it was as, he, as if he was telling my life story for me. Um, and I resonated with it so much that I reached out to him. I read his book um, and I've, I've actually never touched a drop since. So there's been difficult moments and it was hard to get used to. How long is that? Um, that is seven months. Yeah. So well I'm done. still... Well done. Thank you. But I'm still... I'm, I'm well aware that I'm, I'm early in this journey. You know, you're, you're 10 years, but I can honestly say that I can't see myself going back. Um, and I'm in such a good place at the minute. But I think one of the one of the big points was about a year ago, or no, about eighteen months ago. It's it, when it got at its worst. I was told with the heart condition that I'd need open heart surgery probably within the next year. Luckily, now it's been delayed for hopefully three or four years. But they told me once I have this operation, I can't drink afterwards. And inside, I knew I had an issue. But I set myself. I was like, right, I can't drink after this operation, so I'll stop then. But in the meantime, I, let's just you know make the most of it I can drink now so I just went to excess and I was like I'll stop when I medically have to stop um and yeah with the help of my mum my wife you know sporting chance I've I've been able to stop on my own and I mean yeah the, the best place I've ever been so that was you phrase um let's talk about some of our other guests actually we'll, we'll go back and we'll talk about Lee um shortly but I kind of I've, I've actually done a, a printout from our, our podcast hosts of all of our um, all of our guests, and we put, let's start from the most recent. I, I, I swapped to WhatsApp with Georgie this morning, Georgie Kelly. Um, 
update is final assignment handed in in last week and confirmed there was no trip to Vegas. So there he is. Uh, he's finished his exams. He's finished his final assignment. And now he's just got to wait for his results. So there we go with um, with Georgie. We also had the the breakout episodes, which you and I were not really involved in, that Lee did with If You Care Share. And we wrestled with what we were going to call it. Because one, we actually spoke to Matty Smith, who runs If You Care Share. And he said, well, you can call it the suicide episode. And it's, and it's a word that I think, we're very scared to say out loud. So I guess I bottled it um, and we called it the If You Care Share episodes. I think in certain ways it was a bit of a tough listen, but it was also uplifting in terms of the work that these people are doing. Uh, the Zoe Tynan tournament went ahead on the 21st of May. And if any, any listeners have not looked at their Instagram page, go on that at the Zoe Tynan tournament. Um, they had loads of video clips from WSL players and, and Lee lift them a video clip and all these young girls are just united by their love of football, putting on their face paints, playing games of football, doing the things that we all loved as kids. It's absolutely brilliant, uplifting. And then there's one thing, I, I don't think I've chatted to you about this yet, Fraser, but we know Matty Smith's mad in the nicest possible way. Um, he is running from Chesterler Street, where if you care, shares offices are, down to Downing Street. Um, <laughs> he'll obviously be stopping on the way. Um, but he also does need people's support as well. Actually, we'll play a little clip in of, of Matty talking about that. Hi, everyone. I'm Matthew, one of the founders of If You Care Share Foundation. If You Care Share is a suicide prevention and bereavement support charity who uh, work with people across the northeast, across the UK, um, ultimately aiming to prevent suicide. Today, May the 8th, is quite a relevant day for me uh, because a year ago uh, I've ruptured my Achilles and since then I've promised myself that once I was able to, I was going to do as big a run as possible to hopefully make a difference for as many people as possible. So before I find another excuse, I've decided that now is the time to do the run. So on August the 28th, I'll be setting off from our offices in Chesley Street to run to Downen Street, um, which is a total of 289 miles over 11 days. The reason for running to Downen Street is I am also going to deliver a letter um, specifically asking the government for part of the levelling up agenda to recognise the importance of suicide prevention, but especially for the north where we have some of the highest rates. On the run, I'm going to be encouraging people to join me on the journey. I don't want to be running it alone, so any support that I can get will be amazing. But also this is about trying to raise life-saving funds to ultimately continue to do the work that we do. So we are asking individuals, businesses, organisations to support us in any way they can. That's why today we're here at Rum Razor at uh, CrossFit Glacier. And the reason for coming here is Rum Razor is a great example of how organisations have supported us in the past through uh, selling merchandise, through donating free haircuts for the people that need it most. And I'm actually going to be training here um, during the build-up to the run, and I'm going to need a lot of training. So, yeah, we need as many businesses as possible. There's lots of different ways that people can support us, so please feel free to get in touch, to reach out and support us however you can. So he's doing, he's doing that to raise awareness. So the, 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 the government at the moment are making 
big shouts about levelling up and, and levelling up the north of England and creating more opportunities up there. And one thing that Matty has found, and if you care, share, found is that it hasn't got anything about suicides. And particularly during the pandemic, where people have lost money, lost jobs, lost loved ones, um, suicide is a huge problem. And, and as Matty and if you care, share, people say it's a huge problem, particularly in the north and the northeast. And part of the levelling up agenda should be, there should be a focus on suicide. So he's running down, I think he's running down with a petition, stopping along the way. He's got loads of businesses that already help him out. But if you are a listener that you've got a business that can help them out, then please do get in touch with them if you can offer any help and support. If anyone wants to run alongside him for part of it, they can. Um, I'm not sure I'll be volunteering, but let's see when he comes past Hertfordshire. I'm... <laughs> I might get roped in. But also, if anyone wants to donate, you can go to totalgiving.co.uk slash my page slash long time running and you can donate to Matty. I think they're looking to raise £25,000, but also, also really importantly, awareness. So that's what Matty's doing. And look, we love him so much. I was lucky enough to go and watch a, uh, the Premier League Academy Cup final with him a couple of weeks ago. And no, but that, that one was a, a powerful episode. And as you said, we weren't massively involved in that. We let sort of Matty and Lee, um, you know, do their thing on that. But it is, it just shows like when, if anyone that meets Matty, he's got such an energy about him. Um, he's got such an enthusiasm. He's got such a, a power in his message. And, you know, that family, we've talked about it before, you know, myself with alcohol, Lee with, you know, um, what's happened to her, using some of the most difficult moments that you can go through um, to help other people that are going through that. And I think that family in particular, Matty's family, what they've been through together and the work that they're doing now, it's almost given them that strength to carry on. It's given them that purpose to to go on and make sure that no one feels, you know, the way that, the way that Matty's brother did. So... It's, uh, it's unbelievable work and it's uh, it's an incredible fundraiser that he's doing. So I do hope he gets that target. Um, but it was a, a powerful episode and, you know, it was about suicide. It was about people taking their own life. And it's something that we do want to talk about. We wanted to talk about um, uh, transgender within sport. We wanted to talk about suicide in and out of sport. We wanted to talk about homophobia, racism. We've touched on that in so many of our episodes and we do, we want to talk about the things that, that don't really get talked about or get brushed over. And uh, I think when those conversations are had, no matter who listens to it, they can take, if, even if it's 10 seconds of what someone says, they can take a tiny little bit out and apply it to their life. And that's why it's so important for us to, to do these. I think that's right. I mean, you mentioned a number of things, um, but one thing that's worth dwelling on is you mentioned homophobia and we were really passionate about that LGBT um, episodes. Oh, it was really inspirational talking to Sophie Cook and learning um, learning about her life and, and, and the trauma that she would have gone uh, gone through um, with her transition and everything else. Um, and then Jamie, who obviously was is a mate of mine uh, anyway, but I've kind of been a mate of Jamie's through the work that we've done. We're both lawyers by trade and not really talked to him about the hidden fight that so many LGBT people go through, particularly in the macho environments of sport. And it really affected me listening to Jamie tell a life story that was identical to mine, with one massive exception, that he had to lie about who he was when he was a teenage boy. Now, there he was playing in football environments, having all the lads banter, the same banter that you and I will have had, but fighting a battle that we didn't even know lads were having. And, you know, you and I go in and we talk, I mean, we've been doing 
sessions at football clubs talking about sex and sexual communication. We're passionate about trying to talk to the boys about safe and respectful relationships and not blurring the lines between, between pornography and real life and that kind of stuff. And we were trying to make sure that we reference the fact that, you know, there may well be a lad that's in the room here that's really uncomfortable with it because his sexuality is different to yours. Um, now, we can't be the ones that lead those conversations because it's not our lived experience, but it was so nice to be able to bring in Jamie and Sophie um, and, and Lee's teammate Chloe to talk about that kind of stuff. And then... Jake Daniels happened. And it was really lovely seeing Jamie's reaction on, on Twitter. And I think it was a really emotional moment for him. And Jake was clearly a really articulate advocate on that. So, I mean, well, what you and I have agreed is look, let's just not me and you talk about it now. Let's let's let Jamie talk about how he felt. It's incredible. Um I think you always, when you're younger, you always look up to role models to, to be the person that you want to be. And most kids growing up want to be a football player at some point in their life and you're playing in the back garden or you're playing down the park and you're doing keepy uppies and you're thinking i i'm going to be the next thierry Henry, and i'm going to be the next obviously i'm going to mention all arsenal players i'm going to be the next ian Wright, or i'm going to be the next dennis burka and there's always i think there's always that struggle for someone who hasn't who hasn't come out or doesn't realize who they are yet or hasn't come to the realization as to what sexuality they identify as. And then you start to realize that as you're growing up and you start to think, I don't really see anyone like me playing football. And I don't feel that I can do that because no one else is that's, that's openly gay. Um, and I think Jake's step is going to make a huge difference to the next generation of people and the next generation of kids who are already way more open and accepting than my era and your era. But it enables that kid to have a dream and pursue that dream and may not become a football player. That person may not become a professional football player like Jake has, but it just gives everyone that added opportunity to go, I can do whatever I want to do whilst being true to myself. I don't have to hide it because if Jake can do it, I can do it. So talking about updates of our, our series two guests, well, I don't, we don't need to give an update on Yinka Tamori. I mean, proud dad, AC Milan win the Scudetto for Kai gets called up by the England squad. Again, and it felt, I don't know about you, I mean, look, you're a Chelsea boy as well, so you have already had a natural affiliation for Fakayo. It felt quite a profound call-up for Fakayo because he'd been called up early on when he was at Chelsea. He then went away and played abroad, and we've spoken a lot about playing abroad. I know you're passionate about going away and testing yourself abroad. Out of sight, out of mind sometimes comes up, and I worried a little bit whether he'd get selected for England again, and, and he did. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I think it's it's an unbelievable sort of test of his character, putting himself out there and going out of his comfort zone and doing that. And when we spoke to Yinker, he said he did want to encourage that, go and learn a new language, you know, immerse yourself in a new culture. And a club like AC Milan, it's a, a ridiculously huge club, but they haven't won the league for a long time. Um, so he went there and, yeah, it, it was brilliant seeing the celebrations and seeing him on the bus. And you can only imagine, you know, Yinker's reaction off the back of it. But it does show, you know, he hasn't had 
you know, we spoke to Yinka and he hasn't had, you know, that linear path of, you know, straight into a first team and then it's all plain sailing. He's had a lot of ups and downs already in a young career. He's been out on loan. He's actually been out on loan originally and didn't play much when he was at Brighton. Then he gets some game time at Hull. And then he, he has that unbelievable loan spell at Derby and sort of cements himself and gets his chance at Chelsea. But a new manager comes in and, and he's out of favour a little bit again. So it's been a it's been an up and down um, sort of path for him so far. It's not been easy. And then to take himself out of his comfort zone and go and, and do what he's done, win the league and then get called up for England. As you said, I think there has been a, a hesitancy in the past where no matter what level it is, it might not be the giant of AC Milan, but but often players, whatever level, are quite worried about going overseas or going to America or going into Europe because it does seem like oh, maybe I'll get forgotten about in England. Um, but the 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 data that's out there now, the video analysis that's out there, your games can always get watched. But I look back now and I, it is something that I wish I'd have done. I wish I'd have been brave enough um, to go out and try and explore a different way of playing, a different culture. It's an unbelievable life experience. I know it's a little bit more difficult now with Brexit and there's probably a few more complications to that. But I do think it's an unbelievable experience and he's going to be a huge role model. Um, I think, you know, people like Jaden Sancho and Jude Bellingham have started that trend already but I can only see it increasing and obviously we're we're massively proud of of uh of Yinka and and of Fikayo but it just again it feels like we're investing in that career now he's someone that we really want to do well and he's he's definitely doing that well that that brings quite nicely to the almost the flip of it is we've seen lots of young lads come over to England from countries abroad and it brings in one lad that we absolutely fell in love with. We had to chat to him over Zoom because it was right in the middle of the pandemic we spoke to him, was Akos Anodi. So Akos, young Hungarian lad, so articulate, so intelligent, um, playing at Aston Villa's academy. And then there was a, a COVID outbreak at Aston Villa, which meant that he played for Aston Villa's first team as part of that sort of under-23s group. Um, he's had to do alternative routes. I think a goalkeeper has to do that a lot. He went on loan at Sporting Bromsgrove um, forgive me, Sporting Bromsgrove. I think that's Southern Premier Division, so that will be fifth, sixth, seventh tier. Um, went away, had that loan, and he's now come to the end of his contract at Aston Villa. But I've got a tweet um, to read you. So he's now been, I, I, I presumably released. I wouldn't be surprised if he now goes back and plays in Hungary with a reputation being forged in England, where he's learned a hell of a lot in England, now becomes pretty marketable back home in Hungary, if that's where he ends up going. That's my speculation. But this is a tweet, you will love this, Fraser. It's from a, bloke, a guy called Mark Naylor. He's the head academy goalkeeper coach at Aston Villa. He says, today, Akos Anodi leaves our programme at Aston Villa. What a fantastic human being, a true professional. He leaves with our best wishes and some great memories. Success is a journey, not a destination. Right, if you're Akos's dad and you read that, how does that make you feel? Yeah, yeah. We were we were blown away by just how mature and articulate he was. Um, he was so open-minded, he was so willing to learn and had a, a real passion to learn and develop himself as a person and as a player. I've got absolutely no doubt that he'll go on and be successful in, you know, in football and outside of football. Um, I think his sort of rounded character and personality will will help with this. I'm sure it's not a, a shock to him. And, you know, for, for many instances, I know this from myself, when I got released from Chelsea, it could be the springboard to, to really kick on his career. 
He's had a great education coming over to England, learning the language, playing at a Premier League football club, actually playing for the first team as well against, you know, against one of the best teams in the world. He's now set himself up to go on and achieve, you know, whatever he's going to go on to achieve, whether that's first team football in England or in another country. Um, we've got no doubt that he'll be successful. And yeah, he's a, he's a brilliant young man. So I'm sure if it was his dad, he'd be uh, extremely proud. Totally agree. It's interesting to see Peter Galaxy. I think he's hungry. He's number one at the moment. His position was pretty much the same as Akos. He came over, played for Liverpool, got released. Now he's number one in Hungary. So if we see him pop up in the Euros or World Cup in the future, we won't be surprised. And talking of lads who came over to this country, didn't quite make it at first team level and, 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 and everything's paid off. Pedro Chiravella. Maybe, maybe, maybe we go on too much about how much we love the people we speak to, but oh, Pedro. I mean, what a footballer for a start. He's one of those beautiful, it's a cliche, but beautiful continental footballers. His passing range is absolutely unbelievable. He reminds me a little bit of Thiago uh, Alcantara in the way that he plays. Um, maybe Pedro will be embarrassed by that comparison. But when we spoke to him, Nantes were really, really struggling. I mean, they nearly went down. They had a playoff against Toulouse, and we'll get to Toulouse in a minute. Um, but this season, they've done pretty well. Mid-table finish, upper mid-table finish, and they won the French Cup. And actually, there's a lovely video on Instagram of him and his teammates. I don't know what they're shouting, something in French, but maybe our listeners will be able to tell us. I do think it was interesting that when we when we spoke to quite a few lads that we spoke to who we'll come on to in a minute that were probably not in the best situations when we first spoke to them they were a little we spoke to the first group in an off season a couple of them were out of contract a couple of them were injured and Pedro when we spoke to him had just signed for Nantes and then we spoke to him again and caught up with him a year afterwards um, and as you say they were in a really bad position you know they had fans coming up um, booing at the training ground and I think they were throwing stuff and it was a bit of a messy scene and the manager got sacked but this season it's been a, a complete shift and I think Pedro's played almost every single game it's really justified his decision to you know to turn down that contract at Liverpool and go and carve out a career for himself because you know a lot of people looked at that when he, he rejected a new contract at Liverpool when they just won the league and you know win the Champions League final takes a brave sort of mature young lad to do that and you know put your career first rather than being a, being a squad player at a bigger club but he's gone there he's absolutely you know achieved I think he's played almost 100 games now since he's gone there and now he's won a French Cup so it's completely again justified his decision for going there. It's lovely isn't it and then there was a, the fun little element where Series 1 blended with Series 2 because there we were cheering on Nantes we were over the moon that they won that playoff against Toulouse. And then we contacted Damien Camoli, who we're really grateful he agreed to come on the pod. It's fascinating talking about his role as a sporting director, but of course, he's now the president of Toulouse. And I think it's fair to say he lost his temper slightly during that playoff. I think he, I think he shouted down the referee and he got, he got a touchline ban as a result of it. But pleased to say, all's well that ends well, because Nantes will be playing Toulouse next season. And Toulouse have absolutely blitz league de... Um, and have been promoted. In fact, you'll laugh at me on this one, Fraser, but I, I sent an email to, 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 to Damien. Uh, it took ages over it because uh, I drafted it in French, using my best GCC French. 
And then he replied back in French. I had to run it through Google Translate, but it was a nice message that he sent back. So it's really good to see Damien happy in Toulouse flying. So uh, you know what, though? when we when we spoke to him after that player final and it was a disappointment, the confidence that he had that they were going to win promotion this season, like it was it was almost inevitable. Um, and they yeah, they you could tell by the way he spoke and the structure they had behind the scenes, it was only a matter of time before, you know, they went a step further and done it. So no, another one that we're, you know, if you want to kickstart your career and, and become a success, get on the podcast because there's so many people <laughs> that have come in and that we've spoken to that have gone on to unbelievable things. And we'll we'll talk about another one uh, next, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, right. You've obviously tried to set me up for one that I'm, I, I don't know whether I'm going to get right. Oh, well, I was thinking of our mate Sergi Canos. Right. So when we first spoke to Sergi, he'd done his cruciate knee ligament. Um, Brentford were in the championship. He, you know, he, he again was in a bit of a dark place, wasn't he? He was, you know, he opened opened up and said that he'd been crying and felt felt isolated from the team, and he was watching their games on TV, and they missed out on promotions to the, to the uh, through the playoffs. Then obviously they had the season afterwards where you know they were unbelievable and, and managed to win promotion, and then this season to see him, you know, go from people were probably questioning whether he'd come back from that knee injury or whether he could cement a place in Brentford's first team in the championship. This season, to go on and, and play almost every single game in the Premier League, and again, someone that um, hasn't had it easy, had that, that brilliant time at Brentford when they were in um, the championship, got a move to Norwich, it didn't quite work out, had to reset his career, has gone back to Brentford and has just gone from strength to strength. And yeah, he's won goal of the season this year. Brentford have finished 12th I believe in the Premier League and he's now you know he's, he's an established Premier League player so it's been a, an unbelievable turnaround since you know two years ago when we first spoke to him. It's tremendous well, well what we should tell the listeners is on the one with notes in front of me Fraser hasn't he's pretty much swept up everything I needed to say about Sergi he scored Brentford's first goal of the season against Arsenal that's the one you said goal of the season cue commentary. And the shot from distance leads to Brentford's first ever Premier League goal it's a top-flight goal at long last at the Brentford Community Stadium, and it's Sergi Canos who scores it. Lovely finish from the Spaniard. Brentford won, Arsenal nil. Sergi also scored the last goal of the season as well against Leeds United. Then managed to get himself where he got booked for pulling his shirt off. Then he got booked a few minutes later and got sent off, and Leeds stayed up. So maybe a slight negative on that one. But they love him there as well, and he does loads of stuff with the community. And there's some great little clips online of him um, doing some work with the bees. Um, and of course, we'll look. So I think part of the point of the of our outset and, and and our podcast is we we love all the churches we love all the scenes um, we love Brentford particularly um, but it comes uh, that's that sort of paraphrase comes from our, our chat with Michael Caulfield and we talk about that we respect all the different churches etc. So one other thing when you were trying to set me up for Sergi Canossa the one I wondered whether you were talking about was another West London club because we've had we have Mick Beale on Series One. Uh, we love Mick to bits. He's, a true, he's been a tremendous coach, great assistant to Stephen Gerrard. I'm pretty sure that Stephen Gerrard will put a lot of his success at Rangers now at Villa down to Mick. And, uh, well, I'm taking a punt on this one because this is going to be released um, after I think it's going to be announced that he's got the QPR job, which is an unbelievable move for Mick. Um, really, really exciting one for him. And, and actually, it comes, it comes after that Nottingham Forest playoff final um, and another former Liverpool Academy coach, Steve Cooper, 
And there's that great clip that you pulled together that we put on our socials phrase where Joe Worrell talks about what a good, kind human being Steve Cooper is. And you and I had the same, immediately, we were both watching on Sky separately, we had the same thought, which is, Christ, that conversation that Jordan Williams had about, I mean, if any if anyone listens not listens to the Jordan Williams episode, it's, it's one of the ones I really tell people, you've got to listen. This kid's life story is unbelievable. Um, he lost his dad tragically, suddenly. And there's Steve Cooper round at this 15-year-old boy's house, um, helping the family to recover from it, sitting up with Jordan for hours and hours, just being there. And I think that's what's so important. You know, George, uh, MJ sort of, he spoke so highly of Steve Cooper and he's another one. When you when you hear someone talk so well about someone um, like Steve Cooper, you you again get a little bit invested into that. So you start looking into it yourself. You start, you almost want him to do well. If you think he's a good person and he's helped someone that you know, you want him to do well. And it was brilliant. That that conversation or that that interview that, that Joe Worrell said afterwards, he touched on um, the side that people don't see and the human side that people don't see. And that's exactly what it was, it's, you know, what Steve Cooper was doing with, with MJ at the time. He doesn't have to go around to a 15-year-old's house and console him and his mom and be there for him. It's the side, the human being side, that he doesn't need to do and doesn't get seen and won't get huge credit, but is a massive part of that role. And it's why I, I watched those Not in the Forest lads talk about him afterwards. They didn't once mention anything sort of technical or tactical. It was all about what a good bloke he was, what a good human being he was. And if we're talking about Nottingham Forest, we've got one more because we did actually have Steve Cook as a contributor. Yes. Started in the player final. So he's another one that we spoke to that, um, yeah, he was, he was having a bit of a tough time at Bournemouth, got a move in January to Nottingham Forest. And now he's, he's a Premier League player again. So another contributor that's gone on to do really well. And that was lovely. I know that it meant the world to Sophie that, that Steve gave us that little that little clip, which was really, really, um, really, really nice. And I know that he was super supportive when she was going through her 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 transition um, as well. Uh, well. We're talking about MJ. Let's talk about MJ. He played 45 games this season, just gone for Bolton Wanderers. Now, I need to remind people that he is playing with a knee transplant. So for those of you not listening to the episode, I don't want to do too much in terms of spoilers, but he was told at the age of, I think it was about 20, your career, we think it's done. But there's one chance, and that is to have a knee transplant. And a knee transplant is as serious as it sounds. You need a donor. And for a donor, you need someone's knee. So if you need someone's knee, you need someone, tragically, you need someone to pass on. And that someone can't be a a 90-year-old that's had their life. It's got to be a young, fit man. Um, so Liverpool flew him out to America, even though he was out of contracts and leaving, he ultimately signed for Rochdale. So he, started, he played 45 games with someone else's knee transplanted into him, which, I mean, just blows my mind in terms of medical science. But they finished ninth Bolton. They look really ambitious. I mean, I, from my generation, I think of Bolton as a championship club, you know, battling towards getting in the Premier League, not, not where they've been in recent years. And the other lovely thing is, I think he talked about his long-term partner, Claire, and he's become a, um, a really passionate stepdad for her children. They got engaged this summer after the season ended, and it was really, really nice. And I know you always laugh at me. I always get a bit emotional. Things. I think MJ's was one of many, many episodes where I started crying, um, and it was really lovely. It made me a little bit emotional to see that, that Claire and MJ got engaged. That was really, really nice. Yeah, and we talk about being invested in, in their careers and... You know, when we first spoke to MJ, I was living, you know, in and around London and I'm up north now, so I'm not far from Bolton. And, you know, he's, he's got me tickets to games this season and I've gone and watched him a couple of times. And 
it is you what you want him to do well again and and last season or just after we spoke to him you know he had played a decent amount of games for Rochdale and that was on on the knee um and then he got his move to Blackpool and again it, it was one that that didn't really work out for him it was a bit of a you know a dip and a you know he could have he could have gone sort of downhill from there but went to Bolton in the league below and, and won promotion straight away um, and he's again now he's a is a key figure and plays every single week almost as you see there forty five games um, for a massive massive club so credit to him credit to Liverpool because as you say they they didn't need to do that they could quite easily have have said you know he's at the end of his contract and let it run down we don't need to pay this because it would have been a huge fee you know to get this knee operation done to, to fly him out to America. But, um, but they really looked after him and I'm sure he's going to be, you know, eternally grateful for that. I'm, I'm sure he will be as well. And actually, one thing that was quite nice, I, I said, um, I spoke to Alex Inglethorpe the other day, the, the academy director at Liverpool, and I was chatting about it. And I mentioned in the Georgie Kelly episode, I'm a, I'm a big Gillingham fan, absolutely gutted we got relegated this season. But I said to Alex, what was really interesting and what he must be really proud of is the amount of Liverpool academy boys that featured um, in that League One campaign and that, the amount of them that had an impact on, on that last day of the season with Jill. So we had a lad called Conor Masterson, didn't feature on this podcast, could easily have done. An Irish lad uh, who was at Liverpool, similar time to the boys we interviewed, um, now at QPR, and he, he was on loan at Gillingham and came and did really, really well. So he was playing that day. Um, we needed Bolton Wanderers to win, so we, I needed a favour from MJ. Um, and they were playing Fleetwood Town, which, of course, Jordan Ruster's team. We drew nil-nil with Fleetwood only a few weeks before and Gillingham really needed to win that. If they had won that, they'd have stayed up. Fleetwood would have gone down. And Jordan, we spoke a lot about his injury problems. And unfortunately, he has had some injury problems this season. He's played a decent amount, but then he got injured again. But during his season this season, he's been made club captain. And what was really interesting, I was at that game, Gillingham nil, Fleetwood nil. Two teams out of form, let's put that politely. But Jordan was injured. And he was out on the pitch training. Obviously, he's getting close back to, to, to full fitness, but he was out on the pitch training with all the boys. You could you, you could see he did not stop talking the whole time they were warming up. And then he was there on the bench. I mean, it was a, he was a coach. He was there as a coach on that day. And it was a big result for Fleetwood because ultimately they stayed up as a result. And it was really interesting. We got the measure of Jordan in that episode, our first ever episode. It was our most listened to episode. In fact, you, your episode is the one that's, that is chasing it down in terms of listens, which is interesting. Don't get too arrogant about that, but obviously <laughs> you've got you've got something, mate. Um, but the measure of him as a as a lad, and I'll, I think I'll always see him as a kid because I'm old now. But um, he's a top quality human being, and that's kind of really is the point of our pod. We we're looking to find these top quality human beings. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you'll find a more humble, down to earth, grounded, dedicated professional. Um, we we fell in love with him again. Um, I think Ricky, who who came along and did the video for us and the inter, uh, and the filming for the interviews, went away and he does not stop talking about Jordan Rosser. He's another one that that looks out for his career and yeah, it, it's a measure of him as a human being. That I think he's only twenty four still, um, named club captain. He's a leader. He's a quiet leader. He's not someone that's going to scream and shout all the time, although he does on the pitch. Um, but he leads by example. And what a, a humble, real down-to-earth guy. And we took him outside to try and get some, some footage of him. 
uh, some camera footage of him walking down the street and a few poses for the camera. And he was so embarrassed and so out of his comfort zone, but it just showed he, he didn't want any kind of attention. He doesn't want that. Um, he loves football. Um, and yeah, we're, we're hoping that he can, he can, you know, get back to full fitness and, and prove himself again next season. But another one that's gone on, he was out of contract and had no club when we spoke to him. Now he's a club captain at, at League One level. So he's doing really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're not going to be able to talk about everybody, um, but if, I, if there's any fleeting references we can make, I mean, Corey Whelan is a classic one of um, Corey was out of contract. And I think he wouldn't have said this to us at the time, but I think he was nervous about being out of contract. Just come back from America, difficult time in the pandemic, and he was desperate for a club. He's now He had a short-term contract with Wigan, and now he's just had a season at Carlisle as well. Um I wanted to mention Louis Robles as well. I, f I found Louis a really charismatic character. Um, and I like how, how very different they are. I'm not, Louis certainly not arrogant by any stretch. I, mean, I do think Louis is quite a humble lad, but he was a slightly more out there character than, than Jordan. And he kind of had this confidence of a striker is the way that I would put it. And he talked about legacy. Um, and the season after we spoke to him, I think they narrowly missed out. I think the pandemic intervened with the worst Premier League and then they narrowly missed out on the Welsh Championship. Well, this season, they scraped the Welsh League by 21 points. So another European challenge for Louis as well, which has been fantastic. Um, but the other thing with Louis is that Louis and Adam Anson are best mates. I mean, proper best buds. And Adam's story is interesting as much as he was the one, I guess other than Darius, who was uh, who was playing at a non-league level, where it was the focus was more away from football. Um, and in interesting, this is coming after we've just shown the Georgie Kelly episode, because I think we got the impression from Adam that his off-the-pitch activities probably benefited his on-the-pitch activities, and I know that Georgie felt that. I spoke to Adam yesterday, promoted to club captain at Southport. Again, they love him down at Southport. He's just signed a two-year deal. They won a cup, I think it was the Lancashire Senior Cup, and everything's going well off the pitch for him as well. He's now a senior support worker at children's care homes and his football coaching big business has been taken to a new level. And I think coming out of the pandemic, that was a huge relief for him because Adam's a very different character to Louis. I think Adam's a lad that doesn't give much away at all. I don't think you ever know whether Adam's happy or sad. He just stays on that nice little level, which is quite like you actually, Grace. Sometimes <laughs> I can never tell on your face whether you're happy or sad. Um, but what a good, and like you, what a good lad Adam is as well. I'm so pleased for his success and for Louis. Yeah, he was he was really unassuming and he, he downplayed his ability as a footballer. Um, it did seem like he was a real rounded character and football wasn't everything to him. But he did, he signed for Southport and went full time. And the reports I've heard, and obviously he's been promoted club captain, they've won a trophy. Um, I think they're in the playoffs as well. Um, He's, his football career has taken off and he's, I know that he's got a lot of interest. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if Adam did end up back in the football league, if that's something that he wanted to do. Um, you know, people determine success in, in different ways. He might be completely happy playing non-league football at, at that level uh, and working on himself outside of it and creating a career, a dual career. Or he might want one more go at, at the football league. And, you know, from the reports I've heard, he's, he's definitely good enough to do that. But you can see that from two years on, um, you know, his football career has, has taken off and through games and for experience. And we have to remember these are these are young lads, but 
again, it shows, you know, if you were a coach at Liverpool at that time and you're seeing all these lads and you get to see them every year going off and, and exploring after they leave Liverpool, you know, some playing top flight football, some non-league football, you know, some have had good times, bad times, but the journeys that they've been on is, it is quite incredible. And this is happening all over the country. So there'll be people with such amazing stories and such experiences at such a young age that, you know, is invaluable. And, and you know, now we're invested and it does, it, it really makes this, this podcast and this part of the job really sort of fulfilling. It's nice, isn't it? Um, I should mention Conor Randall. I think he's been up and down with injuries, but he's, you know, still carving out a good career for himself up in Scotland. And yeah, then, he should sign a new deal as well, a new two-year deal. So. And, and again, sort of, very well thought of as a human being, not not just as a footballer as well. But uh, I also know there'll, there'll be listeners now crying out, going, what's going on with Darius? Because the, I guess the thing is, because Darius was playing at the level he was playing, that it's not so easy to find out what he's up to. So you and I have regular updates with him, Zoom calls. Um, largely, we just love seeing his big smiley face. Um, he's still flying at being a dad. He He's actually stopped playing football for a little while at Ramsbottom. And there's a good reason for that. He's really focusing on being a dad, but he's also had a slight career change. He's running a bar in Manchester pretty successfully as well. And again, it's a sort of a bit of a post-pandemic thing. Running a bar in Manchester wouldn't have been a move during the lockdowns and the pandemics, but um, he's doing that. He's enjoying that. But one thing we're really excited about is, um, well, we've got an agreement in principle from a massive football club um, to get Darius in to talk to their academy boys. Um, he's keen to do it. We're keen to do it. The club are keen to do it. It's something we're looking at for next season. Um, and we're trying to make sure that we can get into as many of our clients, as many of the football clubs that we work with um, as possible, because uh, his story is one that will be familiar to a lot of them, but there are some real lessons learned from it. And he tells it so well. And he's so engaging. Like every time we see him, we just want to give him a big hug, which is not always possible on Zoom. So we're looking forward to doing that with Darius and, and he's doing incredibly well, even if he's not playing football. He's still incredibly fit and I don't like looking at his Instagram page when he's in the gym because it scares the living daylights out of me. He's lifting some serious weights there. Um, so Darius is good. Right, what else have we not covered? Um, uh, a little bit of sad news in terms of Conor McLaughlin. Plenty of people that, that, that follow football will know this, but um, Conor's been medically retired. Something you know well. Conor was 30 when he was forced to retire this season from you, you, you were 28. Um, I, I want, I want to say this because I want to make sure that people, if, if they can be interested in, in his new venture, they can he, him and Ryan, I think have got together to launch a business called pitch Two property. So if you go on um, Connor or Ryan's Instagram pages, you'll see some references to that. Um, he's a sensible lad. I don't think I'm worried about Connor at all. Um, and I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that he's come to terms with, where his life is, where his career ended. I think he's pretty proud of what he achieved, the kind of accidental Northern Ireland international in a way. I guess you kind of might have thought it would be Ryan and he would probably dreamed of playing for Republic and he ended up winning was it, 45 caps for Northern Ireland. So playing against some incredible players. So, you know, he will be okay, I think it's fair to say with Connor. Yeah, he's had, he's had an unbelievable career. Um, when we did speak to him, we did touch on, you know, what his plans were after football, even when he was still playing. And, you know, he was doing an open university degree at the time. Um, we talked about some of the things that he was interested in off the pitch. He wasn't just the footballer and, you know, really panicking. He was working on himself and, and developing himself to find out what he was going to do next. 
he also spoke about um you know the struggles that he'd had with his family sort of moving location and club to club and short contracts and you know this this again it could be it could be a blessing in disguise for him he's had a brilliant career he can now you know focus on his family transition into what he's going to go into next and by all means i've spoken to him it's early days um and you know my my initial days it, it is a little bit of a novelty when you come out yeah he's been in the game for so long it might be a delayed effect where he does struggle a little bit but you know I've, I've spoken to him and if he ever needs any any help or advice from from me or from us then then we'll give it to him but he seems in a really good place um and he's he's you know set up his business and as i said i'm sure him and him and ryan will be a success i want to talk now about the women of our podcast as well one thing we've been really proud to do is learn more about the women's game promote the women's game and it's something we do as a business um We've been really fortunate that we've been doing a lot of education with WSL academies, me, you and, and Lee, and it's been really lovely watching you and Lee, and Lee particularly talk to those, those academy girls, which has been fantastic. Um, I guess Natasha Dowie was our trailblazer on that. Um, I'd known Natasha from her time at, at Liverpool. She's a proper baller, she really is. Um, she was at AC Milan when we spoke to her, and it was really fascinating finding the, the, the female experience of going over and playing abroad. Um, but she's now back in England playing for Reading. Uh, we mentioned Sergi Canos got Brentford's goal of the season. Well, she got Reading's goal of the season. In fact, I think she was in the shortlist of the WSL goal of the season. An absolutely exquisite chip from about 40 yards out. Reading looking to break now with Van Havermaet and Dowie. And Tierney's wrong side. And is Dowie. Oh, that's brilliant from Natasha Dowie. That is inch perfect, and Reading's purple patch continues. I wanted to also talk about Ashley Goddard. Now, talk about me crying. Wow, when she talked about her mum and dad not being able to be in hospital with her when she had extraordinary brain surgery, which resulted in a stroke. I mean, incredible what she's gone through. And and I'm going to make a confession to you, Fraser. When we were interviewing Ashley, she was saying all these things I was inspired by. I was, I was inspired by what she'd already achieved. But she said this thing about the mother of all comebacks. And I was smiling and I was encouraging. And I was thinking, come on, Ashley, you're not going to play competitive football again. I, I, I genuinely thought that can't happen. What she's gone through. She couldn't walk only a few months previously. And lo and behold, she signed. So she was on BBC News in January this year. She, uh, and it announced that she'd signed for London Bees in January. Uh, she made a debut that month. And she scored against Hounslow in a 5-0 win that month. So, I mean, we, we've had plenty of guests that have humbled us. And some guests we're probably not even going to have time to, to mention. I'm Zafik, but I absolutely love Zaf. I see his name written down there. JJ Robley, what an incredible young woman she is. But talk about being humble by Ashley and her resilience and, and her positivity. I mean, you look, you've gone through something life-changing as well and, I, and you've been incredibly positive. And so I guess you must have, that must have resonated with you a certain amount. Uh, she, I came away from that just blown away. I didn't know, you know, her story before that. Um, I'd caught up with Lee before it and, you know, Lee was the one that pushed and said, you've got to speak to this girl. Um, and we are just blown away. Um, so inspiring, such a tough, resilient girl. Um, even just, you know, afterwards she showed us, 
some of the exercises that she was doing in hospital and the ways that she was so determined, she was so confident that she was going to come back. You know, even when she, she couldn't walk, she couldn't even move her fingers. She couldn't do, you know, sort of the simple tasks. She couldn't pick up her fork. She couldn't, she couldn't eat properly, but she was still determined. And I think football was that vehicle that drove her forward. It, it gave her, you know, it gave her a goal. It gave her something to aim for, even if it did seem a little bit unrealistic at the time, but, she it is remarkable that she she's played competitive football and you know I think she you know she'll continue to do so um she's she's become I think since we since we spoke to her in the podcast she's become a lot more open to sharing her journey um maybe it was an outlet for her that she knew that she she could inspire she she got some good messages off the back of um the podcast that she did with us and, and people really resonating and and finding it so uplifting so there's such power in her story and I've seen her start sharing a little bit more on social media and it's a journey that, that I loved following and again someone that we're, we're massively invested into now. 100% mate and um, well, talking about someone we're massively invested into, I mean, Lee came across our radar um, just over a year ago now, she's been working with the business for a year, she's been absolutely wonderful working with us and inspires us every day the way that she recovered but also her positivity the way she is as a human being, it's one thing I did want to briefly mention. She appeared in our trolling episodes, which I thought was great. Stan Collingwood was brilliant on it, um, talking about the racist abuse and, and, and how important it is to fight back against this stuff. And, and actually, Izzy Sawley, the reform troll, fascinating. And talk about the positivity on, on that. I follow Izzy's story as she goes on now. She uses her social media positivity in that about kindness about being fit and strong working in a homeless shelter all the great stuff that Izzy does but of course one thing that was wonderful for us personally was Lee sharing her story about how so many people joined in the pylon while at her darkest moments and a really important thing that we've done is we, we a huge debt of gratitude to the law firm Slateford so shout out to Slateford and Jess Alden there and also the, the investigations firm Sport Radar, big investigations firm. They specialise in uncovering um, suspicious gambling patterns, stuff like that. But they also feel passionate about um, tracking down trolls, criminals online and, and, and bringing them to, to justice. So we've had a big project with Lee, working with Sport Radar, working with Slateford, tracking down people that have sent the most hateful abuse to Lee, tracking down people that have shared her videos online, um, and those people that have contributed towards the worst mental breakdown she could ever have imagined. Now, the reason that Lee does it is not because she wants to get compensation, damages, etc. She wants to be part of a positive change in our culture. Um, so she, well, we've done some work with German TV recently. We, we've been doing some stuff with Sky TV to get that message out where we've made contributions to the law commission when they're looking into intimate image abuse this is all about a positive change that word positive is really important for lee and for us but one thing is and i'm, I'm sure we can play in a little clip on this is some of these men have, have agreed to pay lee damages some of these men have agreed to apologize to her in fact there was a slightly crazy guy that apologized to her on twitter managed to spell her name wrong but an apology is an apology but one of those guys and, and fair play to him he accepted what he did was wrong and he agreed to meet Lee um, on Zoom and she had a conversation with him and we're playing a little clip of, of her chatting to this guy. But you're not sorry for the initial comments? That what you think? Oh yeah. That... Uh, 
Uh, nah, well, I'm definitely sorry that I've made you feel like that. I'm sorry about what I said, and I, I regret saying it and making you feel like a, no one, no one with a, any kind of conscience or heart or anyone wants to make anyone feel like that. And if you do, then there's something pretty wrong with you. And I, I do like to think that like I'm not a bad, bad person. I'm a very stupid at times. I think I get a lot of things wrong. And this has been something that I've gotten massively wrong. I do regret it hugely. Look, I, I, I do really appreciate that. I do. I just... The comments just, they broke me. Um, and I know you probably think the comments weren't even that bad, but it was the timing of them. It was where I was at mentally. It was me laying in bed, panic attack after panic attack. I know I wrote it in my, my letter to you, but I was vomiting that. That was real life with my friends around me, like struggling to know what to do, or they didn't have answers. and. Every time I thought I was taking one step forward, I'd read a comment like yours and, and take a hundred steps back. And I just, I, I don't know, like, I know you're not a horrible man, you're just uneducated and maybe being stupid. Um, yeah. And I guess not considering that other end side of it, but I just need to know that even if it's not to do with leaked sex tapes in, in the future, that no matter what it is, that you're going to be kind. Um, in all elements of life that doesn't involve hurting someone else. It's not just about sex tapes or intimate image abuse, it's about all subjects in life. Like you can't you can't vent your anger on a social media platform because other people read that. Yeah, it's definitely Yeah, definitely something I need to think about as well. How do you think it felt for me? Um, I guess finding out in the first place that I was the victim of a crime, and that was having my the most intimate of moments in my life leaked online for the whole world to see and laugh at. How do you think that felt? Never been able to to know how it felt, but I would imagine it would be pretty horrible, and kind of everything would go through your of who's seen it, who's you know, like obviously you're saying you've got your brothers and dads and stuff, like who's and people showing who's saying what about it. Like, uh, I don't know, it would just be a constant race through your mind and every time you thought you'd think of something. How do you think it is for me that I'm facing someone that's watched me have sex and seen me naked? Yeah, I don't know. I'd imagine it's very nice at all. It literally makes my skin crawl. It makes me... <sighs> I want to vomit right now at the thought that I'm looking at someone that I know is master. I don't even want to say it, but masturbate is over me. Sorry. Um, I'm going to assume you weren't just watching them to laugh at them. No, I definitely didn't masturbate over them. What did you watch them for then? Just because they were there and people were talking about them and you were famous, I think. I mean, I can't, I can't say that in my own time, I would just go and watch adult movies and web, go on adult websites for 
nothing. You, you go on them because you want to experience some pleasure, right? But it was, it was on like Twitter or something that I would see that and then see the thing and say, oh, what's that? And went on and looked at it. It wasn't like a premeditated thing of, oh, I'm going to go do this while I watch that. To me, you're talking about me as if I'm an, a, a Netflix movie documentary or a, a Champions League game. So that's pretty much it. Everyone I think we've covered, or there's a few other, I could not even mention Brendan Batson, just a hero of mine. Uh, Michael Caulfield, we spoke to him quite recently as well. Um, but I wanted to go back to David Clark, who well, he's a hero to, to you and I. Um, and it's, well, there's one really sad thing to say uh, about David. Um, his dog Dennis was with us when we recorded the, the podcast. Um, Dennis was not an old dog, he was seven years of age. And he was well when we saw him. I mentioned at the beginning, I was really lucky, privileged to go to the British Paralympic Association fundraiser recently. Dennis was there and David commented to me, he didn't see him himself. And then lo and behold, I think it was only two weeks after that, David announced with great sadness that, that Dennis had been diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer and, and, and they, they'd had to let him pass on. And I kind of, I, the only time I can kind of get cynical is, is about pets sometimes. I think human beings are more important, but there's something about a help dog, whether it be a, for a blind person or anyone. Um, big animal, Christ, the, he was about the same size as you and I. He was huge, Dennis, and so calm and patient and sat there listening to us jabbering away. And, and of course, you know, he's a really important element of Dave's every day-to-day -day life. So it's huge sadness that we tell our listeners uh, I'm sure a lot of you will have seen that we retweeted David's message on that. that unfortunately, Dennis has passed. Um, so we're really, really sad to hear that. So we wanted to be able to let our listeners know that. But um, the other thing we wanted to mention about David, well, that he's such an inspirational guy. Uh, we also mentioned that he's a big Liverpool fan as well. And I chatted the other day to David about he was lucky enough, in inverted commas, to go to the Champions League final. And it is an important part of our chat with David was about accessibility. And we spoke a little bit, I think, about disabled access for fans at stadiums. But I wanted to play you this little clip of me and Dave having a chat about his experience of the absolute chaos in Paris. But before we spoke about Paris, we spoke about Dennis. So Dennis was my fifth guide dog. He was a lovely German shepherd. He just reached seven years old. Um, and of course, the guide dog to me as someone who's totally blind means that um, in terms of getting around, um, in terms of being able to kind of think and, and, and uh, let your brain wander and that kind of thing, that's possible when you're working with a guide dog because they're kind of taking you around obstacles and around people and, and getting you through places like railway stations and, and shopping centers and things like that. And of course, when you're walking with a cane, you have to be really concentrated and thinking on it. So. Um, a guide dog is an amazing thing to have, but unfortunately, um, Dennis uh, started not to eat his food a couple of weeks ago, and um, that's very unusual for him. And um, we just lost our pet dog, so we thought it kind of might be related to that. But unfortunately, when we took him to the vets uh, in the middle of May, um, it transpired that um, he uh, he had um, a, a sort of blood cancer, and the problem was it had started in his spleen, but it had ruptured. Um, so when they tried to do an operation uh, to take it away um, and see how we could deal with it from there, they found it had gone to his uh, his lungs and his uh, 
kidneys and his liver and it was everywhere and so let's take that awful decision to um to put him to sleep so um fortunately they were able to wake him up and make sure he wasn't in too much pain and we were able to say our goodbyes and, and, and thank him and tell him how much we loved him uh but it was really really sad and um you know dogs don't live as long as humans and and, and therefore you go through this cycle you know every four or five years or spoke well a bit, lo- bit longer hopefully sort of seven or eight years but I think the reality is that that you have the emotional and the practical side. The emotional, because you love the dog. I'm a dog lover. I absolutely adore dogs. Um, <clears throat> but then you have the practical side of knowing what that means and knowing that you're going to face a prolonged period without a dog whilst you're matched with a new dog. And, of course, the COVID period has meant that there aren't many dogs being produced because the circumstances within which to train them wasn't possible because of the COVID rules and various other things. So... I know that I'm looking into a prolonged period without a dog and, um, and that puts extra pressure on me in terms of getting around with a cane. And, uh, and I suppose the best way I can put it to your listeners is uh, that, that, you know, when you, um, when you have a guide dog, you might choose to go out, you just choose to go out for a walk because you want to go out for a walk and you might go to the coffee shop or you may walk, walk around the park or you may just walk through the countryside, but you can independently decide to go out for a walk. Me personally, I'm not speaking for every blind person. For me personally, that doesn't happen when I'm working with my cane, because it's not something you do for fun. It's not. It's not as. Um, it's not as free flowing. It's not something you can just kind of switch off. You have to be on it and thinking all the time. So, for me, it's really, really important to keep busy and keep physically active during this period, because otherwise, you know, I find that mentally, physically, I start to start to deteriorate. And having been through it three or four times already with my previous dogs and the previous gaps. I know what I'm looking into. So, yeah, Dennis was amazing. We love him to bits, and uh, we hope he rests in peace. Now, of course, you weren't intending on taking Dennis to the to Paris to the Champions League final. You went with your son and a, and a few mates. And like so many others, whilst you were out there, the experience you had was less than satisfactory, if I could put it politely. So we uh, we were really fortunate to get tickets for the Champions League final my my two sons got tickets through uh, our, our season ticket arrangements and then from my position on the FA I was able to apply for a ballot for um, some more tickets and I, I managed to get one for myself so uh, and a friend so uh, so we all went down to, to Paris on Saturday morning um, because of all the queues at Dover we left about 3.30 a.m we got there really early um, it's just excitement in the car, you know, Champions League final. I, I've driven down to Madrid without tickets and it was such great fun. So really looking forward to it. Um, obviously got 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 on the ferry, got down to Paris about two o'clock, um, went into the fan zone. It was really crowded. It, people were really well behaved. It was uh, great fun. Uh, Jamie Webster was on stage doing all these Liverpool songs and that. It was brilliant. It must have been about 40, 45,000 people there. But then things started to unravel a bit because, um, firstly, you have to realise that the fan park was about an hour's travel from the stadium um, for the Liverpool fans. That wasn't the case for the Madrid fans, but for Liverpool fans, it was an hour away. And also there were train strikes. So you had to go through some certain routes. And so we made our way via various routes to Saint-Denis. And then we did what was can only be described as a bit of a walking the gauntlet of walking through Saint-Denis up to the stadium through crowds of views that you didn't quite know whether it was friend or foe and you didn't quite know whether you were going to be um, attacked or left alone or whatever. Um, so 
but anyway, that all passed off fairly re- relatively easily. And um, got to the tunnel that leads under the motorway, got to the first checkpoint. They checked the tickets. All was good. Got through. Uh, and then, and then for me, two things happened. But I'm going to tell you about some other people's experiences, which kind of show that the video footage is kind of real. Uh, we went. We, we hung around for about 15 minutes and then we went to the gate to get into the stadium. And it was clear that there was a bit of a hubbub at the, at, at the gate um, with um, uh, locals uh, who'd somehow got into that area trying to kind of um, get through barriers and stuff. But it was still quite quiet at that time. So it was a little bit of a hubbub and a little bit of kind of what you might describe as menacing behaviour, but not 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 terribly. But then my friend went through the ticket barrier first and he put his ticket, which is in the official UEFA app on the system. It recognized the QR code, the gate opened. And then the steward stepped across because he thought people were going to try and get in over the barriers. And of course that meant that my friend couldn't go through. And then, and then, and then the, and then the, the turnstile closed. And of course, at that point, the system thinks he's in the ground, but he still stood outside with a ticket that says it's been used. So, you know, and I'm not being funny. These tickets were not cheap, right? We're talking, we're talking a category two ticket of 420 quid. And so he stood outside the stadium with being told that he 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 can't through. Meanwhile, I've gone through because my ticket does work because the guy didn't step across the barrier for me. And so we spent 20 minutes trying to convince them that his ticket was valid, was reasonable, it wasn't a fake, and he should be allowed in. Bearing in mind, as I say, this is on the official UA for app, so it's not exactly, and also it time tracks it as well, so it knows exactly when it's been looked at. So um, that was the first thing. The second thing for me, which seems fairly minor considering what happened elsewhere, is there was audio commentary at the game, but there was no way of knowing where it was and who was doing it and how you got it. So, you know, I spent all that money and wasn't able to watch the game properly because the audio commentary wasn't available. That contrasts with the experience of two of my blind friends who arrived 15 minutes after us um, at around 6.30, 6, 6, 6.40, I think. Bear in mind, that's two and a half hours before kickoff and found themselves being uh, having to force themselves through a very narrow gap created by police fans, um, eventually found themselves crushed up against fences that they had to be lifted over to get them out of the trouble, found themselves being TS gassed, um, uh, uh, CS gassed, sorry, because, um, because the police were trying to control the crowds. At this point, again, local youths were starting to, to get involved and coming in over the side fences. And, 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 um, and, and it was just a totally... I mean, for anybody, there were kids, you've seen the videos, there were kids, there were adults who were getting crushed and, 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 and starting to panic and starting to worry. Uh, but as a blind person, you know, I can't imagine how, how, my, how my friends felt, you know, because you literally don't know what's going on around you. I had a little bit of it at the turnstile when a few people were sort of bundling in behind me and starting to push and shove, and I'm getting really uncomfortable with it. Um, but they weren't, any, they weren't anywhere near the turnstile at this point, you know. And actually... They didn't get in the ground until 9.25. Um, I suppose my biggest reflection on it, and, that, and by the way, that's before you even come out of the stadium and find that, you know, there's pretty aggressive policing going on. Um, I know a lot of the Madrid fans left later than we did because obviously they were celebrating the win and they faced into a whole host of other issues in terms of being attacked and being mugged. And, and uh, one of my friends 
uh, uh, one of my blind friends, one of the people they were with, was mugged on the way out of the stadium. Um, but um, you just kind of, I, you just kind of left with this overall feeling of, you know, for, when I've got friends saying to me, look, I didn't really concentrate on the game because I was so traumatized by what had happened before, then you kind of know that something was really, really, really badly wrong. And I think the thing that galls me the most is in the stadium, we were hearing statements about fans being late to the game, which we knew were patently untrue because people were coming into the stadium and telling us what had happened outside. You know, and the, the guy sat next to me had found himself getting getting tear gassed. So, you know, and this is a sort of perfectly normal football fan who was just trying to get into a stadium. Um, so, look, it was an absolute shambles. It was incredibly dangerous. I think the behaviour I witnessed was incredibly orderly. Uh, to ask people to come an hour's journey from a fan park to a football match is ridiculous anyway. But... Um, you know, I think there's lots of questions that need to be answered here because blaming the fans is not the answer. And finally, David, look, we all know what an incredible bloke you are. Um, you've done incredible things. You're still doing incredible things. And one of those incredible things is, well, I'll let you tell our listeners all about it. So a very exciting couple of months ahead. Um, obviously, um, no dog to go walking with, so I need to keep myself fit. So I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, I've done football to Amsterdam, which was uh, really great fun. Um, and uh, that's for prostate cancer, so something that um, I feel very strongly about. Um, but uh, I've also rather crazily uh, uh, said that I will do um, Lands Engine John O'Groats on a tandem, um, which is uh, nine days and 978 miles, um, and a lot of chamois cream, I believe. Uh, so, um, yeah, I will, uh, you know, I'd be really grateful for any support I can get for that. We're raising money for the Prince's Trust and a few other charities as well, um, all aimed at uh, education and employment uh, of people who tend to miss out on both of those things. Um, so I'm really, really excited about it. It's going to be amazingly hard work, uh, but uh, I've always wanted to go from one end of the country to the other. So here we go. If you want to support David on his bike ride, you want to make a donation, or you just want to keep up to date with how he's doing, visit him on Twitter at ClarkeGB7. That's Clarkey, C-L-A-R-K-I-E-G-B7. So I don't know whether we've done all of our guests justice. We may well not have done, but let's finish finish up on this one. We, we've got a few, a few things we want to start. So we're having a summer break. That's an important thing. When we'll be back, I don't know exactly. Probably August, could be September. If it ends up being October, please don't please don't blame us for uh, getting those dates wrong. But we we want to have a break, but we're not necessarily breaking off from recording. We've got we're meeting a a young man, quite he's younger than you, Fraser, but decided to retire from football to focus on his business interests. We're meeting him in a couple of weeks. We've got a few others in the bag, but we really want listener engagement on this stuff. We've we've already had a lot of listener engagement. Please. This is a big, please, please, please do promote us on your social media. Do tell your friends about us. The more people that listen to us, the more successful we get, the more episodes we can make, really. Um, a little big on our Patreon. We have a Patreon page. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash football journeys. Uh, we charge our patrons £2 a month and we'll be, um, we won't be charging anyone during the summer months when we're not doing anything. But we charge £2 a month and... I think there's a few reasons for joining us as a Patreon member. And one is that if you enjoy our podcast and you, you can spare £2 a month, it goes into the pot 
and we make no money on this podcast we lose money but it goes towards largely booking places to record the podcasts uh travel costs admin costs it's all for that um so if you can support the podcast do but we do try and give our patrons something um you usually get the episode a week before quite often if there's some extra stuff that we've cut out of the main episode we might leave it in for patrons um so they get a bit more content we had had a few exclusives to patrons as well We've had some prizes. We've given away um, signed copy of Sophie Cook's book. We had a signed copy of MJ Williams' Bolt Wanderer's shirt. We appreciate the prizes we are giving away. Probably not the kind of the prizes that Jake Humphreys or Jamie Carrick can give away, but you know we are who we are. We do what we can do. So Patreon, please do get involved. Um, we're also looking for sponsors as well. Um, this might sound slightly arrogant, but we're not interested in companies that sell alcohol or trying to get people to invest in stuff we want companies that align with what we think are good positive messages and you know we've had some great sponsors um and then we've partnered up with a lot of charities um i mean in your episode we partnered up with british heart foundation with the rnib with david clarks with our revenge porn helpline recently the wonderful suzanne rowan did us a little intro on the Michael Crawford episode and talked about her work in, in memory of her husband, Rob Rowan, with cardiac uh, risk in the, uh, in the young. We want to just partner up with businesses and charities. We don't take money from the charities, be clear on that, but partner up with businesses and charities um, that really align with our values. Because, you know, when we've got a business and they pay us a really small amount of money to partner up, that helps to pay for the podcast. Um, and it also leads to opportunities as well. You know, we put, we put guests in touch with our sponsors as well. So we've had some really great stuff with that. So if you know a charity, an organisation, if it's your organisation, your charity, please do get in touch. And it may well be. We did a great partnership with Epic um, on an episode with Scott Davies. Scott works for Epic. Epic sponsored um, that episode. We were able to speak about the work that Scott does with Epic gambling awareness that kind of stuff you know so we were able to say to epic come and sponsor us and you can influence this podcast as well so you might have a business or a charity you think there's a message that we've not given or a person who has inspirational story that we've not told your charity or your business can help with that please do get in, in touch with us slide into our dms send us an email info at b5consultancy.com or football journeys at b5consultancy.com send us a message get in touch with us we'd love to hear from you that is uh, that is one of the real important things for us is is we were you know we've, we've probably not mentioned this but we were offered a sponsorship uh, early on in this podcast but it was one that just did not match up with what we we wanted we wouldn't have been proud to to state that before every episode it went against what we what we believe in but also we've had guests you know we've had we've had agents that have pushed guests or people that have asked to come on the podcast and we have to be really selective. We want good people with good stories. We don't want headlines. We don't want clickbait. We don't want massive attention. Um, we don't want, you know, the the glamorous, the more glamorous guests that probably would get more listens, but someone that we don't really believe in or that doesn't align with our values. We want good people with good stories that can inspire. And we take these, we take these lessons and we we've taken them, you know, from, from the likes of Yinka and we go and talk to academy parents or people that are really struggling or any kind of issue, we try and take that into the, the work that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. So we are, it is really important to us who we partner with and the guests that we get on. So 
anyone that the, the listeners can recommend, um, you know, that fit that criteria, we're really happy to, to listen to. Yeah, 100%, mate. And um, I mean, in terms of what we've got lined up, uh, we, we want to hear from listeners about what you want to hear about. And I, I've kind of got a few, I've had a few people reach out to me, a, f- a few bits and bobs. Someone said they'd like to hear from someone that works in media or communications. And obviously, my job, I've worked with a lot of those people. I've got one potential person in mind, but we're, we're open to all sorts on that. Um, one listener was interested in, in recruitment. Uh, also an analysis and, and Fraser and I have spoken to a potential guest in an analysis which is quite interesting we um, we were knocking around the idea of, of a, and I hate this term a wag um, but obviously a, a partner someone that has been on that journey alongside a footballer uh, we're interested in a manager and actually it's funny you mentioned a high profile one we, we have one that I've got a personal relationship with that is very high profile but also does fit with our criteria as well whether we get him or not we don't know um, he's agreed to it we're just chasing the club's media officer up on it whether it happens we'll wait and see on that you know we're going for our contact books we're we're talking to people but if you've got ideas it may well be I've got an idea but I don't know anyone just still give us the idea, see if we can run with that because, you know, we, we thrive on those ideas. And as I said, we've got other ones lined up. We've got a footballer turned businessman. Uh, we've got a sports broadcaster, a football broadcaster. We've got a sports scientist. Um, lots of exciting things um, lined up. And, and one that I've spoken to you about before, Fraser, we, we're investigating uh, one particular lad that, that up until the war was playing in Ukraine. And I don't know whether or not we'll be able to, fully track him down and get him to talk about his experiences. But, you know, that we want good human stories. Um, we want positive stories. You know, some of them might be slightly sad stories, but we want we want the positivity that comes from that, or the lessons learned that come from that. And I think you mentioned we turned a few down and we felt a few of the ones we turned down were, were people that have engaged in, in negativity. Um, and we always think that the, the positive outlook is the way that we want to go because we want everyone to listen learn and move on thank you for listening to this episode of football journeys you can follow us on social media on both twitter and instagram at journeys pod to support the pod and get early access premium content and all the other advantages that we can send your way sign up on patreon at patreon.com forward slash football journeys for just two pound per month you'll be helping to fund the cost of producing this podcast whilst also getting benefits that other listeners don't. This is Football Journeys.